the big silence, empowering personal experiences, inspiring compassion, and healing lives. We are no longer silent. We are here. The big silence. Hello and welcome to the Big Silence Podcast. I am your host, Karina Dawn. I'm a mental health advocate, wellness entrepreneur, and co-founder of the leading women's fitness community, Tone It Up. I'm also a New York Times bestselling author and founder of the nonprofit, The Big Silence Foundation. I'm also a wife, daughter, friend, and yes, palm mom of five. And just like you, I'm a work in progress. I have experienced profound grief and trauma and then found deep joy in life. And now I'm here to share my story, be a safe space for you to share yours. And we're having in-depth conversations with psychologists, doctors, spiritual leaders, friends, and others who have been impacted directly or indirectly by a mental health condition. No more embarrassment, no more shame, no holding back, only healing. Let's go! Mental health is my wealth, the stress upon the shelf. Nobody can love me the way I love myself. Seek and ye shall find the truth and the light. I'm living my purpose, so I sleep good at night. No more depression or spiritual recession. And every day that I wake up, it's a blessing. So breathe in, breathe out. Everybody in the house know what I'm talking about. The big silence. The big silence. All right, and welcome back to The Big Silence. I am sitting here next to Bobby Goldstein in the studio. Mm-hmm. Um, I have decided that he is going to be in most of the intros because, ladies, he's the number one viewed podcast. Everybody loves Bobby Goldstein. Mm-hmm. Why is that, Bobby? Well, all those ad dollars I spent are finally starting to pay off. I've been trying to figure out all these algorithms and everything, hashtag strategies, but really, they just want my money. So I had to pay. Yeah. Bobby's really big on Instagram and social media. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very big. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe here and there you'll see a video of his Pomeranians or something. Most likely Tiki, we know. Yeah. Yeah. So today is, it's my birthday. (laughs) I've been hearing that a lot today. Oh, yeah. I get to run around the house and do whatever I want. And sing constantly and be like, it's my birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, it was nice that I, I planned that, you know, nice little trip to the West Cave Grotto and we were going to walk around and you agreed to it and I made the plans. And then I think we're supposed to leave in about an hour and a half and you canceled. I canceled. Let me tell you why. I just got back from Palm Springs last night and Bobby was supposed to go to Palm Springs, but then we didn't have anyone to babysit the poems. And you had stuff to do because we had the event and the house needed cleaning up. But anyways, I went on a solo trip and met some of my friends out there as well. And then last night, uh, flight was on time, landed at midnight, and then was on the tarmac for an hour and a half, two hours, Mm -hmm. because there was a massive storm here in Austin, like flash flood warnings, tornadoes. And for whatever reason, we couldn't get to the gate. And then getting to baggage claim, eventually by what, 2.30 a.m., I was like, I don't need my bag. Yeah. So 
we left and we came home, got to uh, to bed around 3.45 a.m. And then um, my executive handyman picked up my luggage today. Yeah, what a, what a guy. Went back to that airport around, what, nine something this morning. Well, Fantastic. People, well, some people I was like, oh, are you on the connection from Phoenix? They're like, no, Miami. I've been waiting for three hours. It's like, I cannot stay here till 6 a.m. So, anywho, I'm tired today for my birthday. And um, I we're going to go to that grotto tomorrow morning. Mm-hmm. There's Maybe. Lo- oh. I got to see if there's availability. This is a hot ticket. All right. Nice weather. We had some rains. There's going to be some waterfalls really flowing. That's the cool thing about Texas, too, is there's so many hidden gems that not a lot of people know about from hikes and nature and waterfalls. But anyways, um, moving on from that. So, yeah, we had the event, uh, the Big Silence Launch event a week and a half ago now, which is amazing. And you can see some of it because I don't think I've announced yet, but we have a YouTube channel. So in the show notes, I'll put the link to the YouTube YouTube channel. We just launched it. So all of the podcasts are actually filmed as well. So you can see them on camera and look at us talk to each other. Superstar. Superstar. Oh, yeah. And Bobby, <laughs> speaking of superstar, uh, today, to Tuesday. Is today Tuesday? Yes, it is. Okay. Um, my birthday, yes. Uh, we posted something on the Tone It Up Instagram where Bobby put together 10 things you didn't know about Karina. Yeah, that was the second version. Remember when I sent you the original one? That was a lot of fun to do. What was one that I took out? There was a few. Let me, let me, <laughs> let me go into my notes here. I was like, come on, Bobby. <laughs> you can't say that. <laughs> He's going to pull that oh, up. Perfect. Um, but while he looks that up, yeah, I spent Palm Springs just kind of recuperating and getting some R and R. Yeah, I don't oh. think number five made it in. Let me. See. That oh, was oh, number God. five. Was oh, no. uh, oh, no. as a child, I wanted to be an artist. F that. Literally, now I'm a true fartist. <laughs> I took that one out. Followed by number six. You're a fartist. As I well. have all capitals coming up. The worst feet. <laughs> that one didn't make it in either. Um, let's see what other ones didn't make it in. Okay. There's a reason they didn't make it in. Uh, I don't think two made it in, which is, it's funny that this is number two, but it says, my number one pet peeve is people being late. Also, Karina's always late. All right. So thank you. Um, thank you for sharing that. Um, for the rest of the 10 things you didn't know about Cardi. Yeah, I don't know why tone it up Instagram. you didn't want me to well, put I, those out there. Oh, well, you just anyway. did. You just did. Um, yeah, so Palm Springs was great, relaxed. Um, wanted. It's really important for me as an introvert to really take time for yourself, and especially as we're prepping for the book tour, which is coming out in May. So make sure you sign up for the newsletter on thebigsilence.com. Uh, also tone it up has a ton of activation in this a lot of community coming together so definitely uh, follow the dot big dot silence on instagram and our newsletter it is all coming out soon and it's gonna be really exciting and bobby one of his many talents he is getting his class a driver's license something like that yeah it's called a class b exempt 
Oh. But it's okay. He's taken his written test and you have to take the driving test. Mm-hmm. We are going cross country in a 45 foot tour bus. And you can't miss us because it says the big silence on the side of it. And it's big. It's a cool looking bus. Yeah. I can't cool wait to share bus. it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so excited for this episode. So last week was South by Southwest here in Austin, Texas. And I was introduced through my friend Susie to Zach Williams. Uh, you may know him. His father is Robin Williams. And Zach has become a mental health advocate after his father's passing. He had his own mental health issues and uh, psychosis and anxiety and PTSD. He was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. And uh, since then, he has really been speaking out on mental health. And Zach is also on the board of the nonprofit Bring Change to Mind. And he's also... A, the founder of the supplement company Prepare Your Mind, which focuses on products aimed to reduce anxiety, which I am always looking for natural ways to do that. Uh, we speak uh, about his company, about his relationship with his father, about his PTSD, his own mental health, the importance of community coming together. He discusses his sobriety and what it was like to be in the public eye uh, through his father's death. Which I asked that question because I could suffer in silence with my mother. So yeah, this is a great episode. Uh, Bobby was here listening to Zach's interview. Uh, initially, I was kind of anxious to interview Zach, but I loved how when he came into the green room, basically within two minutes of meeting, he was like, I don't like shallow conversations. And I said, all right, let's dig in then. So he was very open and uh, Bobby's thoughts. I mean, he's just incredibly intelligent guy, um, as real as it comes. You know, is has overcome so much, but I think he still uh, recognizes that it's a process, and he's still going through it all the time. Yeah, as we all are, and that is okay. It was such an enjoyable conversation. We just kept talking. I missed another meeting. <laughs> I don't know, meeting because we just kept talking. He was so engaging and brilliant. And I felt like I was in my own therapy session. But here you go. Uh, podcast with Zach Williams. Enjoy. I feel like I need to take a deep inhale and, and exhale. Is that good? Is that how we can start this? Certainly. All right. Let's take it in. Exhale it out. And a deep inhale in. Exhale it out. All right. Welcome, Zach Williams. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Of course. I'm excited to have you here. Our friend Susie connected us, and it came about quite quickly. And I've gotten to know you a little bit today already. Um, but how are you doing? I'm well. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really well. I met my kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've been away from them for a bit of time. But I love 
Austin. Mm-hmm. It's my first time here. Really? It's your first time? Yeah. Yeah. My wife oh. and I are visiting and we're having a blast. Yeah. I like back. this city a lot. There's a good energy here. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite part about it so far? What's my favorite part about it? It feels a lot like cities I've lived in at different periods when they were very energized. Mm-hmm. It's got a great energy right now. And Food's great. Oh, yeah. Food, music, and of course, Zach is in town for South by Southwest and speaking on some different panels and doing events. As we all hear this week, South by Southwest hasn't happened for two years, mm-hmm. I think. And so it's great to have the energy of that again. It's such an important event. And South by this year it seems to have a really heavy focus on mental health as well. Yeah, that's that's the vibe I'm getting. I believe also the programming is... Yeah, corroborates that. Yeah. But I think most, I don't want to say most because I don't really know, but definitely conferences I've participated in, conventions and the like, have generally had more of a mental health leaning. And I think in part that's because of everything that's going on in the world Mm -hmm. and a shift in thinking and stigma reduction and the like. I would anticipate this to continue. It should continue. It needs to continue. I agree. And, you know, with all the work we're doing on the big silence side and all of the work that you're doing and also sharing your story, people that we need to hear this, we need to heal coming out of the pandemic, if we are or not, the mental health side is now where we all need the healing. So I really want to talk to you about your experience on that and also your company and everything. So Yeah, well, I look forward to sharing more about it. Yeah, what I'm finding with what we call the parallel pandemic, mm-hmm. the parallel mental health pandemic, is that I think a lot of people are starting to acknowledge the trauma that they've experienced over the, whether it's the past couple of years or over the course of their life. Mm-hmm. And You know, historically, I think when it comes to thinking about trauma, it's this person has been to war. Mm -hmm. This person has experienced some type of violence and the like. And that and that has led that will lead to or has led to, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder or things like that. And what I'm coming to realize the more and more time I spend talking with people and learn about myself and also understand kind of the scope of challenges that people deal with is that there's so much more trauma out there that people are starting to acknowledge. And and I think it's important to, to really start acknowledging that as a, a society that we are collectively traumatized through everything that's been going on. Right. Especially the past two years, but Would you, as you learn more about yourself, and you've been diagnosed with PTSD. I have. And I believe I haven't, I haven't gone, I haven't been diagnosed, but I definitely have it from growing up with a schizophrenic mom. But have you realized that maybe the trauma started way earlier in your life? Or was it when your father passed and going through that experience in 2016? Well, yes, the trauma started earlier in my life, but I didn't acknowledge the trauma. Yeah. There's a couple of events that catalyzed certain behavior that you would associate with 
being traumatized. Yeah. When I was 12 years old, mm -hmm. my cousin, who was one of my best friends, died by suicide. And how old was he? He was 13. Mm, that was the age that I had a suicide attempt. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I'm I'm here to talk about it and heal because that's the education that we need to talk to our schools and our children, our teenagers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and so, I mean, I fully agree. And so I, I didn't acknowledge the impact that had on me at and the time. And nobody talked about it. Huh? And no one really talked about it, you know. Um, it created a certain way of thinking for me throughout my teens and ultimately into adulthood. And, and what would that way of thinking be? Like if you get, could give it a name. Risk-taking behavior uh -huh. and also regard or disregard for certain relationships or behavior. You mean like romantic relationships, friendships? All of the above. <laughs> All of the above. And, and then leading into adulthood, my second week as a freshman in college in New York was September 11th. Oh, shit. And, you know, my, my, my friends who are my age of that generation, of our generation who went through that, um, didn't really talk about the impact that experience had. Right. And, you know, as, as someone who transitioned into adulthood literally with a life-changing event, um, I didn't acknowledge it until later on. It, it created a certain pathos within me that, that I carried with me for a while. Mm -hmm. And only when I started acknowledging, hey, this, this had an impact on you, mm -hmm. did I start realizing, hey, there, there, are, there are events that occurred throughout your life. And there's other things that happened as well, but there are events that occurred of which the impact it has had on you, you've adapted to, mm -hmm. but that those adaptations don't necessarily enable you to establish a growth mindset. It, it right. creates within myself, you know, fight or flight, certain fear responses, certain ways of thinking about relationships and, and the like that. I didn't really start acknowledging it up until recently. Yeah. I completely understand that. It's hard for me to have relationships for quite some time, but now this executive handyman over here is my lucky husband, and he's been through it all with me. But so I want to talk about, obviously, so we'll get into, you've had an addiction problem that you've worked through, but did you have that prior to your dad's passing? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think it's, it, it was something that I was very oriented towards yeah. addictive behavior. Yeah. But it's, it didn't reach, it didn't peak until well, after my dad's passing. Yeah. Well, you're already holding all this trauma in your body. And we, as a society, are not taught all of the tools of how to heal. We weren't talking about wellness, about meditation, about getting out in nature, moving your body. And I, I want to ask too, because as you know, my mom passed six months ago and I'm able to do my grief process in private and you were grieving so publicly. 
Like, how did that feel? Did it cause extra stress? Did it make you spiral into heavier addiction, depression? I didn't take care of myself in the way that I needed to initially. I didn't grieve privately. Why? Why was that? Do you um, think it wasn't worthy? I'm oriented towards focusing on the problems of others Mm. and trying to fix those problems to the detriment of my personal well-being. And in part, it's because I'm I've had in the past and was fearful of looking inward, Mm -hmm. but also, you know, experiencing those feelings of loss and grief and things like that were things that I was, I was fearful of because it, it was really challenging to, to deeply feel that because of the nature of the impact it has, you know? Mm -hmm. And so there's a period where I just wanted to feel numb, mm-hmm. you know, experience, I guess the term would be oblivion, right? And I ultimately transitioned out of that way of thinking, but it required me to take a very introspective view and understand why it was I was doing the things I was doing and why it was I was in denial around certain behaviors and acknowledging that there were things that I had established or behaviors that I had established as coping mechanisms over a long period of time mm-hmm. that ultimately served me well. Meaning, yeah, in the longer term, bad for my health, bad for the relationships in my life, bad for my mental health. But, you know, I established those coping mechanisms as a means of self-preservation. Yeah. And that ultimately, I, I would I would say that ultimately wasn't the healthiest set of behaviors. But, but I I at the time I had conviction that these things that I did were best for me. At that in hindsight, <laughs> it couldn't be further from the truth. But yeah. you know, hindsight's well, twenty twenty. Yeah, no judgment here. I get it. Were you close with your dad when he passed? Yeah, he was my best friend. I mean, we were extremely close. Yeah, I understand that pain for my mother. We were her caretaker and for many years. It was like losing a child. Well, which is different. Your dad was your dad. My mother, because she was schizophrenic, she was more of a child. But what was what was your breaking point, your darkest moment when you finally said, this isn't what my life is meant to be? I would say there was, it was more so a, a gradient of mm-hmm. things that were happening. And I was just like, I was doing things to try to heal. I found that committing to mental health advocacy and service was very helpful. But I, there's a number of things that were happening. I was going through a divorce. I was in a lawsuit. Mm, that's always fun. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, you know, all these things happening while you're trying to heal, heal, of course, you know, at least in the case of the divorce, it's a result of my behavior in so many different ways. So it's not like, Hey, you know, like all this stuff was happening at me. Yeah, There was a, you know, I, I was not good to myself and I was not good to the people around me and I need to acknowledge that. But, 
But there was a convergence of events that led me to, to tell myself, hey, if you don't take steps to really overhaul how you take care of yourself and take care of the people around you who you care about, you're not going to have a good time, mm -hmm. you know? And there's a couple of things. One is I realized that once I stopped engaging in addictive behavior as a practice, you know, specifically alcoholism, mm -hmm. once I stopped actively engaging in al alcoholism, I could start working on how I could heal and ultimately repair the relationships in my life. And through that process, I also realized that I needed to engage within activity that I found healing from. So when you, what for people listening, they're like, how do I even take that first step? Whether it's a baby step, what did you do specifically to stop engaging in those things that and start the healing? Was it a phone call, going to therapy, going? I know you did the twelve step program. Like, what is your advice to someone who's like, wait, well, I want to know how to do it and have the strength to do it because it's so much harder to go through that process and do that work versus just staying in this dark space. Yeah. Well, to be clear, I'm still actively engaged in 12 step, which I That's love. That's amazing. Yeah. Take steps to, to find a way to get through a day. And how do I do that? If, if there, if there is an environment that won't enable you to do that, find an environment that will enable you to do it. Because that's, that's how you first start establishing a foundation of healing. Find, find the things that you need to do to get through a day. Mm -hmm. um, this relates to addictive behavior, but it also relates to, you know, traumatized behavior and mental health dysregulation. You know, find what you need to do to get that steady foundation. And for you, that was obviously your 12-step going to therapy. Was it? What were the other things that helped you find your way through? Well, ultimate, ultimately, what we can, where I started from <laughs> was finding things like therapy, mm -hmm. community connection. My solution for that was 12 step, mm -hmm. but there's any number of different ways in which one can find that. Um, you know, church groups, mm -hmm. men's or women's groups finding meaningful friendships. Yeah. You know, nutrition. Mm -hmm. We'll go into that in a mm -hmm. bit. Exercise, mindfulness, meditation. Something I'm very, very passionate about is establishing a gratitude ritual. What does that look like for you? For me, it's making a short list every single day. I love that. Yeah. yeah of things I'm appreciative of. I do that when I wake up and I'm like, I have anxiety or something because I struggle with that. I wake up and I, I'm like, I'm grateful for the roof over my head, my head, the husband in my bed, my five Pomeranians. And it, I, it, the list gets deeper and goes on. But I think a gratitude list is so important to look at. Like, I woke up today and I get to live today. Yeah. Yeah. It's, there's that. Really what's underneath the hood of that for me mm -hmm. specifically is ensuring that you can dispel resentment when it crops up. Mm. 
Resentment's really insidious. If you don't manage feelings of resentment, and they happen to everybody, mm-hmm. everybody, no one is immune to feeling resentful for the silliest things, but it happens. Or the silliest or serious things. If you're fixated on resentment, it will put you into a mode or path of self-abuse, mm-hmm. frustration, anger, envy, any number of different behaviors that that aren't constructive. Yeah, I think, would you say the best way to overcome resentment for me, it's forgiveness? Or what? Yeah, so forgiveness is interesting. <laughs> okay, tell me about it. Um, Being able to forgive, truly forgive, is something that, if fostered within oneself, can be extraordinarily powerful. Mm-hmm. The challenge with that is that people can become forgiveness machines. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then what happens is you, you can isolate yourself. Being like, oh, people did that. I forgive them. Therefore, I am in a different state. I am in an enlightened state. Mm-hmm. And if you can truly find forgiveness for the people in your life or the people not in your life who are you resentful of, it's, it's a wonderful feeling because it disconnects you from that resentment. Mm-hmm. You can find love and appreciation and all those different things. But if you orient towards forgiveness without doing the work, Suddenly, then it can be in a you can be in a situation where you're disconnected from people. Does that make sense? It does. I feel like I'm in a therapy session right now because <laughs> Bobby over here, I forgive I forgive everybody. I forgive my mother. I forgive people who have done me wrong because I always think it's helping me to release any of those thoughts of resentment because I don't want to live with resentment. And I just am. Am I a forgiveness factory? Well, well right. The <laughs> becoming a forgiveness factory, right? Because think about it. There, there's, there's conditional forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And there's unconditional forgiveness, right? And if you are in a situation where you're orienting around, I'm forgiving these people because they're bad people and I'm a good person. You're creating conditions. Mm-hmm. Versus saying, hey, you know, I, these things happened over the course of my life and, you know, I for, I forgive the people in my life for doing whatever. Mm-hmm. But then finding yourself to forgive yourself and then find opportunities to say, hey, you know, regarding future behavior or the like, I don't need to orient around expecting somebody to do something that I can then forgive them around. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Instead, I can say, look, I come from a place of love and appreciation. And, you know, if somebody does something to you, that can be challenging, right? Because you can go into a defense mode, you can go into forgive, you can become a forgiveness factory. And, And from my perspective, it's important to identify how and why you're forgiving because there's a mode that I can go into 
which relates to I'm a good person. This person is not a good person, but I forgive them. And therefore, I can elevate my sense, my personal perception of goodness. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's not a mode you really want to be into because it disconnects you from people. Mm-hmm. And it can be very kind of self serving in many different ways. Yeah. Can I have your therapist number? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not currently seeing a therapist. I need to see one. I'm I'm in search of a therapist at yeah. the moment. But you know, that specific viewpoint relates to again the 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 conditionality mm-hmm. of forgiveness. I don't want to be in a situation where I'm thinking, oh, I will forgive this person if they act better. Or I will forgive this person and therefore, you know, it makes me feel better as a human being. That's one way to do it. And I think it's a good starting point if you can orient towards forgiveness. But ultimately, I'm I'm hoping that I can be in a state where I'm I'm not thinking about, oh, I'm just waiting for somebody to do something so I can forgive them. Or yeah. expecting somebody to do something to me. I, I just want to be a sta- in a state of appreciating, respecting, and loving unconditionally. Yeah. You know? And and my perception around that is the more that you can focus on just being loving and appreciative and 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 be, you know, distanced from feeling resentment, then you just need to forgive less because nobody's doing anything to you. Yes. And so, you know. I agree with that. I agree with that. And so in your transition, so you got into church groups, men's groups, all that. Did oh, you... I didn't get into church groups. I'm, oh. I'm not, I'm, I have a spiritual component, oh, but I was no. just saying I've, Yeah. there's opportunities for people to okay. find church groups. But was it separating then yourself from those who you had to forgive? It was you're changing your your circle around you was healing for you. I think that's part of it. Yeah, you know you can you can appreciate someone, and if there's opportunities forgiveness, that's great. But what I'm finding is that you can love and respect the good times and appreciate the the time spent together with someone and not need to associate with them moving yeah. forward. That's okay. Yeah. And the way in which I found myself to be at peace is to not orient around, you know, I need to distance myself from these people. I mean, yes, I do think sometimes this is a toxic relationship. I need to distance myself from this person. I, that does happen. But, but mainly there, there's kind of a self-selection process over time. If you're, if you're orienting around a certain way and you're acting in a certain way, you'll, you will attract certain people mm-hmm. and you repel other people. Mm-hmm. And the question is, who do you want to attract and who do you want to repel? Because there's a, there's a selection filtering process. The challenge of that is, you know, if you build profile, build presence, people will, or you generate wealth or like people will, will gravitate towards you for mm-hmm. certain specific reasons. And if you don't have a filter for that, or you're oriented towards giving and being generous, you can find yourself drained and disconnected very quickly. So how do you how do you filter? Because you are known, and I understand 
people coming towards you and that feeling of being drained, what is your advice to filter? Set clear boundaries. Mm -hmm. Understand what those boundaries are. So you could do so in, in, you know, very loose terms, like this person has a bad vibe. Yeah, this person feel doesn't. the energy. Well, there's a couple of ways to think about it, right? You can think about it. There's some very simple rules of thumb that I apply. One is, does this person drain me? Or does this person give me energy? Mm-hmm. You can have friends that drain you. It's okay. <laughs> but if you're spending all your time with those friends, you're going to feel exhausted all the time. You know, or friends or family or professional acquaintances or things like that. And then there are those people who you you spend time with and they fill you up. Yeah. You come out of it feeling, you know, it's a generative relationship. You come out of it with new ideas and inspired and, you know, you have more energy or maybe more focus or drive, whatever, what, what have you. Know those relationships. Yeah. And then set the boundaries between how much you time you spend with each of those people. Right, right. And then, so, so you know, often there's a filtering mechanism. You can say, hey, this is a transactional relationship. This is a relational relationship, meaning relational people tend to want to find connections, opportunities to appreciate, you know, time with other people and tend to think about kind of their relationships as being p- very key to their identity. Transactional people tend to think about hey, this person can give me X, mm-hmm. whether it's money or love, you know, affection, what have you. And just know those relationships, relational and transactional. What you need to be cautious of are extractional people. Mm-hmm. These are people who, who see other people as resources and, see, and find opportunities to extract resources from other people. It's a, t- mm-hmm. it's a subset of transactional people who actually are seeking to derive value from you. And that's that's the that relationship. Know those relationships in your life. If you can't identify them, may or may not be a good thing. You might not have those people in your life, or they might be, you know, coming under the guise of something else. So, so when I talk about these type of things, it, it's just filtering mechanisms I have. Yeah. Right. And these aren't good or bad people. They're just people seeking to survive and, you know, right. In a challenging world and undergoing is- a, you know, a phase shift. So to your original question, what are things that you do? <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I believe that's what yeah. it is. Yeah. What are things that you do? Find opportunities to be oriented around love and appreciation and unconditional relationships, mm-hmm. which are really, it's really hard to do all the time because there's, you know, just the nature of going about working mm-hmm. or being up on stage. There's all sorts of conditional qualities of that. Yeah. You know, conditional being, you know, if then, if I act in a certain way, then I will receive praise. If I act in a certain way, then I will receive a paycheck, right? Mm-hmm. It's just, there are so many conditional sets in our life. But if we can identify opportunities of unconditional appreciation and unconditional relationships where there's just, you're set, you're grounded in a state of love, that's where we need to be. Mm-hmm. 
Yes. Amen. I love that. You're brilliant. You're just, you're, you've done the work and are in the mindset. And I think that's also one of the important things is to surround yourself with people who are doing the work mentally and being the work to be the best version of themselves. One more question before I want to move on to talking about nutrition and mental health and all that. Is there one lesson that you can take away that your dad taught you? Be kind always. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You don't know what people are going through. And if you can orient towards being loving when when you can, try to find those opportunities. You know, I, I would hope I can instill within my children opportunities to be kind always. It's as simple as that. Yeah. Whew. All right. Well, let's transition into, um, by the way, I, I love that. And I fully believe that kindness is all that matters and love. Um, the, the great thing is, is if you can orient around finding opportunities to be kind without being drained, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. if, where you can feel like your cup is filled and you can continue to be kind. It's a great state to be in. Yeah. But it's not, it's not always going to happen. Yeah. Like I'm can be cranky as, as heck. And, you know, I'm not always a kind person. <laughs> I get frustrated and annoyed and the like. And so I, I just want to acknowledge that, you know, it, there, there are ways to try to orient towards being a certain way. And that's what I try to endeavor for. Oh, of course. We're never, <laughs> we're never perfect, but as long as we're trying and we're doing our best. And then refilling your own cup. Because I, would you consider yourself an introvert, extrovert, in between? I'm, I'm introverted. Same, yeah. I get, what I found is that I'm experiencing social anxiety a lot more mm-hmm. and being in groups of people is very draining. And I've been orienting towards being at home. I, I travel a lot yeah. and I and I speak a lot and I love doing it, but I need to be in, I need to staunch my foundation. Yeah. If I'm going to be present. Well, that's and, your kindness and your service is helping people and speaking and having this conversation and going on panels this week and doing everything. And I get it too. You know, I had my huge event here at the house for the big silence foundation on Saturday. And what's today, Thursday? I'm I'm still drained. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It happens. And and I'm I'm introverted. Yeah. You know, I'm so here's the thing too. And and this has happened over the course of the pandemic. I'm introverted and I find myself loving spending time but uh, by myself mm-hmm. or you know with you know people who I who fill my cup yeah like my family my wife and my kids and and our dog and our cat the challenge of that is i'm having trouble focusing mm-hmm. around when i'm spending time in kind of more of a you know rebuilding state i'm having trouble reading books mm-hmm. and all these different things that i used to love doing and I'm having trouble, you know, focusing for more than a period of time. Even reading newspaper or things like that might be kind of how the new way of consuming media and the like. But 
I used to get such joy. I, I need to find joy from long periods of recharging, doing things like reading and things like that. It's just becoming harder for me. Yeah. So I'm 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 genuinely concerned for for my inability <laughs> to sit still for long periods of time now. Yeah. Well, a lot has changed from our daily routines to everything. And I'm also trying to figure out how to get back to my daily routine of like, used to wake up at 5.36 every morning. Now I sleep till 7.15. And then I don't have my morning time together. So I'm trying to transition back into that. But we're all, I'm forgiving myself. <laughs> but I wanted to talk about, well, one of the ways that you uh, deal with your healing is the company you started, Prepare Your Mind. So can you explain that to me? Because it's for to help reduce anxiety. Uh, I want to hear more about that because I'm always looking for anything to reduce anxiety. Sure, yeah. Well, the genesis of the company very much related to the, to it was called anxiety, but now I'm breaking it down into its constituent parts. Ooh, tell me. The feelings of overwhelm, uh -huh. worry, and stress I was getting from being newly sober mm -hmm. and finding commitment to service as being very helpful for healing from the trauma, but uh, not feeling comfortable in my own skin, feeling very uneasy and, and seeking solutions that didn't involve drinking myself into numbness or oblivion, right? And so my, my now wife introduced uh, amino acid formulations. Specifically, she shared with me a product that her doctor gave to her, a, a spray that you, know, you sprayed under the tongue. Mm -hmm. It was a GABA and L-theanine product. And you let it sit underneath your tongue. It tasted terrible. But it washed away the stress, overwhelm, worry that I was experiencing in a very meaningful way. I was like, what is going on here? Yeah. And Olivia was like, well, here's what I think is going on. There's this book, it's called The Mood Cure. It relates to how you can use things like amino acids to support mood. So I read the book and learned, started learning about how you can actually establish ways to manage mental well-being and mood through different natural compounds. And I was so surprised by how supportive these products were for me personally that I was like, we need to look into this further because I needed to understand what was happening on a biochemical level. <laughs> it turns out I had, a neurotrans I had a collection of neurotransmitter deficiencies, serotonin, GABA, at different times, other neurotransmitter deficiencies. And if I took care of my diet and the things I was putting in my body, in addition to other things like manage stress and the like, I was able to get through the day meaningfully. <laughs> mm -hmm. Meaning not in a state of, of fear and, and frustration and the like. And so I discovered that through managing my neurotransmitter health, I was able to feel more secure, 
happier, and reduce all those other feelings. And so I created a company around it, along with my wife, Olivia June, focus on neurotransmitter health and supporting neurotransmitter deficiencies. I love that. Um, you need to send it to me. I want to try Yeah, this. I would love to send it. <laughs> with an overarching goal of being a company that stands for reducing the stigma associated with mental health and standing for mental health advocacy. So we created Prepare Your Mind. The company PYM, PIM, was named because... It's my middle name. I was going to ask that. It's, like, <laughs> it's my middle name. Did you? It wasn't okay. prepare your mind. Okay. Yeah. No. <laughs> Is that it, your it's, whole middle name? <laughs> it was a name that my dad gave me. Uh-huh. He said it sounded vaguely Welsh. Okay. And that's that. <laughs> and so, so it, it's been interesting because we are seeking to educate mm-hmm. people around their neurotransmitter health. But you don't necessarily go out to people and say, hey, you have neurotransmitter deficiencies. You know, people are going to be like, what's that? I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> it more so relates to say, hey, you know, you need to learn more about what it means to have a healthy serotonin environment, healthy dopamine environment, or epinephrine, epinephrine, cortisol, oxytocin, and so forth and so on, and a GABA environment. If you are actively managing those neurotransmitter environments, you're in a far better position to have a better day. So where can someone go to find out more information on this? Because I know everyone now is like, wait, I need to go do research on this. I want to hear about this product and how it can help me. Well, there's a great book called The Mood Cure that relates to how these different natural compounds can support neurotransmitter health and the like and mental well-being. But expanding beyond that, there if you're into reading scientific <laughs> studies and the like, you can you can delve in there, but but we're seeking to create more educational resources because as a team, we pride ourselves on education. Yeah. You know, we're developing educational curricula associated with three things: mental health advocacy, neurotransmitter health, and mental hygiene. Yeah. Because here's the thing is that I didn't set out to create a company that says, hey, here's a nutritional solution for all your problems. If somebody were to say that, it would be, from my perspective, a gross overstatement. Mm -hmm. If you're not taking care of, you know, the fitness elements of your life, mindfulness, meditation, therapy, meaningful connection. And nutrition. Yeah, yeah everything. By, by the way, I'm not taking care of the therapy element of my life right now. Well, Andy and, said you were missing out on your workouts right now. Yes. Yeah. And so like, <laughs> I am throwing that out there. in different ways. <laughs> hey, we can't always stay on top of everything. It's okay. Yeah. We do our it's best. Okay. And I forgive myself for That's that. <laughs> but, but here's the thing with that is that, you know, the more you establish mental hygiene as part of a daily ritual, the more you're giving yourself an opportunity to live how you want to live. Yeah. Right? And in order to start understanding how you want to live, you have to establish a couple things. One is you need to be in a state of self-love. Mm-hmm. You need to forgive yourself for things you feel like you're not doing or have done to other people or the like. And, and, you know, if you're in that state, you can start, you can start developing a filter around what you truly need. Mm-hmm. And then from there, building out this foundation of mental hygiene. Because if you establish a mental hygiene ritual, from my perspective, that's nutrition, fitness, mindfulness, meditation, therapy, community connection, 
you're going to have a better time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So when you say establish self-love, because I get a lot of questions from the Tone It Up community that they don't even know, like, it's mind-boggling. Like, how do I even get to that state of self-love? Because there's a lot of women in our community suffering from that. And how do you even, again, take those baby steps to self-love? All, establishing all those wellness, meditation, movement, therapy, that, or I don't know, what's your one tip to get started on self-love? Keep it simple. Mm-hmm. I agree. Some It's like too much. It's like, I don't know how to meditate. It's simple. There is no... Sit still. <laughs> Just sit Turn there. off your phone. <laughs> Keep it simple. Find the simplest ways to... To find that grace in your life. Yeah. Um, I think we overthink all of these things and become so overwhelming, but it is really, it's simple. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so so keep it simple. Find those simple ways to find appreciation and love for yourself. Yeah. You know, it could be how you take care of yourself or take care of your family, how you work, how you play. But... How do you play? What do you do? I play a lot with my kids. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's my main mode of play right now. I, I love building my company. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't necessarily call that play all the time. Mm-hmm. There's a lot there's a lot of hard work around it, but I love what I do. And, and so it's a very it's stressful, but it's enjoyable. And I love our team. I love the people I work with. I have deep appreciation for them. Other elements of play, because I'm saying work is play. But, <laughs> but you know, ideally, my goal is to orient around that as much as I can. Yeah. I love cooking. Mm. Um, What's your favorite thing to cook? My favorite thing to cook. Well, I went to cooking school. You did? Yeah. Wow. In, in Paris, in France, many years ago. And that's where I learned cooking French food, how to mm. cook French food. But I would say I love cooking Italian food. Mm. Yeah, my mother's Italian American, and just grew up that grew up cooking Italian food. Learned from my grandmother, and that's my, you know, soul enriching food. Yeah, I love cooking. It's very meditative. It is at the end of the day, and again, that's one of the things I haven't been doing lately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I need to get add that to my list. I need to make my list of things I love and be like, Karina, get on it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's things that you need to do is find an opportunity of to do things you love. The the challenge is, is that if you do too much of one or two things, <laughs> generally one thing that you love, it can actually be draining for you. Yeah. Especially as introverts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For You know, I love, there's certain things that like, I love video games, mm-hmm. right? It was something that I used to love doing, playing with my dad. And, you know, there's this game right now. It's called Elden Ring. And it's taking more time than I expected. And I re- and I come out of playing this game and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm feeling really drained. And I'm, my system's all out of whack. And I'm like, but that was extremely enjoyable. And, and now I'm starting to tell myself, oh, man, I need to be considerate of how I engage in doing the things I love. Yeah. Because in those bursts, in those spurts, it can be enjoyable over a period of time. But if you're you're doing this all the time, 
It's back to boundaries. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Setting healthy boundaries with yourself around doing things you love. I know that might sound weird, Yeah, but, you know, it would be the same thing with, you know, exercising six hours a day or, you know, doing different things in that vein. Um, it can be very enriching, but if you're doing it all the time, then suddenly everything else starts falling by the wayside. And exactly. You create imbalance. So Balance and boundaries. Yeah, so... I love video games a lot. And if I do it too much, then other things fall by the wayside and I end up, you know, Then getting isolating. exhausted and having anxiety and yeah. all that spiraling. Yeah. yeah, and then suddenly like you're dopamine deficient because yeah. you're just oriented around this all the time. And then you're like, where can I find my next, you know, Your video hit. game? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that can apply to food. It can apply to certain relationships. And, you know, you just want to find balance. Yeah. I want to ask you, can you fill us in about Bring Change to Mind? Yeah. The foundation? Yeah. I want to hear all about it. So I've been working with Bring Change to Mind for five years at this point. Mm -hmm. I've been a director of the organization for the duration of the time I've been involved with the organization. It was founded in 2010 mm -hmm. by the actor Glenn Close. And it's focused on developing and deploying peer-to-peer -peer community support programs in high schools and universities throughout the U.S., and also launching stigma reduction campaigns. We're in hundreds of schools at this point. We also have a wait list of hundreds of schools because there's such a need for peer-to-peer -peer support programs. And I had the good fortune last weekend of hosting the Teen Summit in L.A., mm -hmm. the L.A. Teen oh, Summit. amazing. And, oh man, it was so great to see these kids and how they're thinking about mental health and, and really managing it and as part of their community. It's, it's so awesome to see. Yeah, it's such important work. And we were talking earlier, just, you know, we didn't have that growing up. Hence the chaos in our minds and the drug abuse in mind, the suicide for me, like everything. It's uh, uh, beautiful. And I was reading, so Glenn Close founded it because she has a family member who's schizophrenic and mm -hmm. bipolar. Mm -hmm. So that's amazing. I have several friends too who know my story and it took years for them to say, oh, by the way, my sister's bipolar. My my friend Carrie, whose sister just passed away from an overdose, I, I knew her for many, many years. And then finally she said, well, she has a mental health condition. And so I think it's so important when people speak out about it and say, it's okay. And it's not just the family member that needs support who has the disorder, the mental health disease, but it's the family members who are their support system that we also need the support. So I love the work that you're doing. And especially because you're in school, I think it's life-changing and world-changing. So so there's some specific challenges that have cropped up relating to the programming of Bring Change to Mind and, and launching these, these support communities in high schools. The programs are majority girls mm -hmm. and young women, which is incredible. But we're seeking ways to engage boys and young men. Mm -hmm. And there's different community dynamics at play. And so, you know, the thing that I'm excited about is, hey, how do you get young men and boys excited around managing their mental health to improve performance? Mm -hmm. 
to create opportunities to do things better, that, to do things they appreciate better, right? I, I feel that young men need to manage their mental health. Do you, um, do you think they're just, because of how society teaches men to be, they are repressing and not wanting to open up about it, but women are very vocal and... Is- I, I would say it's complicated. Mm-hmm. There, there is different types of stigma relating to mental health in communities of young men and boys. And to break through that stigma requires different ways of talking about mm-hmm. issues. It's, it's often around creating accessible narratives. And so, you know, between girls and boys, there's different types of accessible narratives. Correct. And so we're really thinking through how do you create more accessible narratives to engage boys uh, and young men? Because men are suffering just as much as women. Boys are suffering just as much as girls. But often the suffering is in silence. There is a stigma relating to being vulnerable in a lot of circumstances. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, as a call to action amongst the listeners... It's important to find opportunities to be vulnerable and build resilience through that vulnerability so that you can be role models. Yeah. Because young men and boys need role models focused on healing and mental well being. So, the parents out there listening who have young boys talk more about their mental health get them to have conversations, check in with them, what would your advice be? Find accessible narratives. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, it's not just about talking more about mental well-being or like it's about finding ways to engage people in a way where they they find it, you know, they can tie it to their, their life. Yeah. Right? It, it, the challenge for me, and this, I'll speak for myself. For me, when it, when it came to mental health growing up, it was either zero or one. Mm-hmm. You were either... In, you know, an institution or rehab or, you know, dysregulated in some way where you were unable to take care of yourself where you were fine. Mm-hmm. And there was nothing in between. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and the challenge for me around that way of thinking is that there's what I've discovered is that there's a spectrum. And people who might otherwise be fine. 70, 80, 90% of the time have those have those bad days. Yeah. And especially, you know, in the in this day and age, in this era we're living, you know, the bad days can stack up. Yeah. And they can create really disruptive life events. And, you know, I think people need to start recognizing that it's okay to have mental health issues. Yeah. Whether it's anxiety, whether it's depression, whether it's, you know, bipolar, schizophrenia. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. People go through it and, you know, there's opportunities to find a healthy foundation. Yeah. And that is just breaking the silence and talking about it. I mean, I've I'm called my sister, who's our executive director at The Big Silence this morning. I said, I'm having anxiety today. Just call someone. I think that's so important for those listening. Like, if you're feeling a certain way, call someone. Let them know. It makes me feel better because then I was fine. But, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. 
So Zach, are there any last words you share with the listeners? I mean, you've said a lot of amazing. Yeah, the final thing is, you know, I'm I'm all for healthcare and medical solutions. You know, just because I created a company focused on nutrition doesn't mean I'm about finding opportunities to support yourself through meeting a psychiatrist or, you know, talking to your doctor around what you're experiencing. Those are opportunities as well. I, I just want to acknowledge the fact that for each individual, you know, I hope that they can catalyze a journey for themselves to find their healthy mental hygiene, whether it's nutrition, fitness, mindfulness, meditation, therapy, community, pharmaceuticals. You know, I, I don't, I don't want to discount any, any of the things available for people because it's often, I think people are, you know, can be finding one mode and that one mode works for them up until a point, then it stops working. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's all about finding that, that mosaic yeah. that works best for them. And the reason why I'm saying this is because I, I'm a firm believer of trial and exploration to find what's best for oneself. Every individual is unique. And you know, I implore people to take that take that journey to find what works for them. Yeah, I love that 100%. Thank you for being here and spending this much time. I don't know how long we've been talking, but I appreciate it so much. Thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you for joining us today and every Wednesday. If you or anyone you know needs help now, text HERO to 741-741 to connect with a crisis counselor. Our crisis text line is private and confidential. If you loved this episode or think a loved one could benefit from listening, please share. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the.big.silence. Head over to thebigsilence.com to sign up for our newsletter to stay in the loop for live events coming up and details on the release of my memoir, The Big Silence. And as always, we'd love a like, subscribe, and leave a review on anywhere the podcast can be found. I love you, and I will see you next Wednesday. One, two, three, sing it. Here's to radical self-love, the type of love that will defeat anxiety, the type of love that defeats depression. This is the one life. This is the moment. This is the time to dig in, to be who you already are. The big silence. The big silence. The big silence.